Hello, I'm Thomas Farley, and thank you so much for tuning in to the What Manners Most podcast. We are going to be talking today with a gentleman who at one time in his career was literally serving kings and queens and presidents and heads of state as head chef at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel here in New York City, who is now devoting much of his time to feeding first-line responders to the coronavirus crisis, to feeding the hungry. This is Chef John Darty, and I'm really excited to have him on the broadcast. I actually had the opportunity before the Waldorf Astoria, which is now actually closed for a multi-year renovation, but before it closed down, I had the opportunity as a journalist to participate in a meal where each course was a favorite course of a former head of state. And it was just such a wonderful, extraordinary meal from the past hors d'oeuvres all the way to the dessert, having each one be a favored course of a previous head of state. And that was a meal I will just never forget. But little did I realize that several years later, I'd be speaking with the man behind those meals. And now, as I said, behind the meals that are truly helping those who are most in need as we uh, as we face this coronavirus enemy. So my interview with John Darty coming right up. So welcome back. As I mentioned, we are joined today by Chef John Doherty. If you have not yet had the occasion to visit his restaurant, Black Barn in New York City, you are in for a treat. They are looking forward to celebrating their fifth anniversary this September. But boy, John has a wealth of experience that goes back far beyond his time at Black Barn. And we're going to be talking with John about hospitality, and particularly helping out some of those frontline workers in this crazy age of corona that we're living in. John, welcome to the podcast. So I want to just really cut right to it and chat first of all about the wonderful work that you're doing with uh, an organization of your own and also more recently an organization called Frontline Food. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing with Frontline. We were approached by our reservation company, Seven Rooms. They had received some private money from people that wanted to feed the doctors and the frontline fighters in the hospitals, our doctors and nurses, who can't seem to get a break, any rest, equipment. That sounds like a pretty desperate situation. And they, so they came to us and said, would you be willing to prepare meals we're happy to buy them so you can bring you put your staff back to work so in addition to the meal that they purchased and we we brought to bellevue i added a heavenly harvest meal which is a shelf stable meal in a pouch that i create for the foundation i created called heavenly harvest and so they got a meal for the moment and they got a meal that they were able to save and heat up in the microwave oven when they had their next break. So you were actually there doing the serving as well, or was it more of a delivery? What was, what was your interaction? It was, our, it was a delivery. Our manager, Mike Pacheco, who set this up, he brought the 75 meals to Bellevue and handed them out to whatever doctors and nurses were available at that time and then left the rest for them. But we got they were really touched. It was very nice. We got some very nice emails of, of appreciation in return. So 
Yeah, it was very nice. And then uh, Seven Rooms asked if we would be open to doing it again. And of course, we said we would be happy to. And we're waiting for the next order. Well, you know, what what makes me so happy to hear the story that you just shared there, John, is I feel when someone is passionate about what they do, as you are about cooking, and during times like this, you just kind of scratch your head and say, what can I do to help? I want to be doing what I love. I want to be cooking. I want to be helping. And, and you're doing all of those things. And I can only imagine that as word gets out, as this uh, epidemic grows, sadly, across the New York area and across the country, that there's going to be an even greater need for yeah. chefs to step up as you are doing. Now, Heavenly Harvest, so just for, for the listeners who are not familiar with Heavenly Harvest, you went from, and we'll talk with you about this a little bit later in the podcast, but you went from your role as the key chef, the executive chef at the Waldorf Astoria to ultimately launching this philanthropic initiative aimed at reducing hunger and the number of people, men, women, children who are going to bed every night hungry, pretty much from scratch creating this meals ready to eat operation. How did you, first of all, how did you even go about determining that this was something that you could contribute in a philanthropic way? And how did you, how did you develop the skill set, which was so different from working in the kitchen at the Waldorf? So when I left the Waldorf in 2009, I became a consultant while I was looking for my dream restaurant. And one of the another project I worked on, I, uh, I was called to develop product, retail product in the grocery stores for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Chicken Soup for the Soul, the publisher wanted to put chicken soup out there and a whole line of soups and sauces and baked goods. And and in a year and a half, I developed eighty three products. Now that was definitely a learning curve for me because. Producing food for manufacturing is quite different than producing fresh food in a restaurant. But I wasn't willing to compromise, and they didn't want me to. And so during that year and a half developing those items, this idea came to me like I had to stop the car. I was so overwhelmed with this compelling idea, desire, mission to make these meals and the name Heavenly Harvest came to me at the same time. It was a calling, honestly. I was astounded as to how great the need is and how many working people have to choose between paying rent and buying groceries. And how many people send their kids to school to eat more so than to learn. How sad is that? We should never have to be thinking about if we're going to eat and when we're going to eat and how we're going to eat. And, and right now, the coronavirus has created even greater need and greater awareness. And therefore, it's going to make it easy for us, easier for us to raise the money to make more meals, to get it in the hands of the right people. John, did I see on your website that one out of every six Americans struggles with hunger? Yeah. That's a pretty That's sobering a statistic. You know, I work with Feed the Children who helps me distribute the meals and we'll go to a community and and give out to maybe six, 700 families. And one day we went out, it was in a parking lot and a torrential, I mean, I was looking for a funnel, a torrential storm came and blew the tents away. We've lifted a picnic table to block the rain that was coming horizontally. (laughs) And when the rain was over, I said, 
what a shame. We came all the way to Chicago. We did all this work and no one's going to show up. Tom, every single person showed up. Wow. Not because they wanted the food, because they needed the food. Mm. You and I go to the store when we want something, right? They came because they needed it. And that blew me away. And they were so grateful for everything that they received. It was, it was amazing. What a remarkable amazing. story. Wow. Do you have any sense, John, of how many meals you've distributed, produced since Heavenly Harvest began? We, um, we made our first 40,000 um, last July, and we are, we're out. Okay. Um, and, yeah, we're out. And we gave, we, did, we sent 10,000, our last 10,000 meals to Tennessee, to the uh, tornado victims mm-hmm. in that community. And every time I see homes being destroyed with forest fires or hurricanes, it just, it was before we were able to make the meals. I'm like, my God, they need our meals so badly. And, and in the future, they will, they will have them. For, for listeners who are not uh, in the hospitality industry or who are not as talented in the kitchen as you and your team are, given the fact that families are spending so much time together these days as we're all quarantining in place, what are some of the things that you think that parents and families can do with their children in this realm of cooking, in this realm of hospitality, to inculcate some of these ideals in the next generation? Well, it's probably happening without even thinking about it. I know it's happening in my home um, where we just were, we're including everybody in everything. And that includes making the food, right? So we have a, my four-year-old son, a perfect age to say, go out of the kitchen while I make dinner because you're going to get hurt, you're going to get burned, and they're small. But he wants to be in there, and so he gets the stool and he gets up on the counter, and I've got him. He loves adding a little pinch of salt. <laughs> he loves sprinkling the cheese. Little things that he can do, using the spatula to move something around in the pan. Oh, when he sees me go to the kitchen, he just runs to get the stool. So it's really cute. And it's, it's great to, to get him involved in, in, in that because, again, cooking is just another way of taking care of, of somebody else and sharing the love and the energy that we have inside with someone else. Any thoughts, John, on how to involve children who are at home quarantining in the menu planning process? So not just the cooking, but the selection of what the family is, is going to be having for that particular evening. So you could ask a child what they want to have for dinner, or you could ask a child what they think someone else in the family would like to have for dinner. Mm-hmm. And that, that allows somebody to think about someone else, putting somebody else first. And then they can see how their idea made somebody else happy. That's an addiction in itself, making people happy, right? That's a great so, tip, especially when you when you see the smiles on the faces and you see somebody going back for seconds yeah. and it was yeah. it was your idea. How about just even from a practical standpoint, as we're going to the grocery store less and less, and we're perhaps having to make do with things that are in the way, way back of our cabinets that we'd completely forgotten about. Any tips for making the most of what you have in your kitchen so that you can minimize those visits to the grocery store? Fresh vegetables, uh, they obviously they don't last too long, but it's better to better to cook them 
sooner than later and, and reheat them rather than keep them in the refrigerator raw where they can spoil. Mm-hmm. But potatoes, potatoes and sweet potatoes hold for a long time. Onions and garlic are great to have on hand. More of the green be- carrots last in beets. So root vegetables stay longer than others. And, and root vegetables are great for roasting. Yeah, just cutting them up evenly, tossing them with olive oil, garlic, salt, and pepper, and roasting them at 425. And then bringing them out, and you can sprinkle them with balsamic vinegar. They're great to be eaten by themselves or mixed with other things. So, yeah, roast root vegetables are great. Have some, uh, always some dried pasta because then you can toss them with whatever proteins, proteins you might have. We haven't discussed this, but I'm guessing you are very Irish, as am I, which means that we both probably were quarantining more or less around uh, our annual national holiday of St. Patrick's Day. Could you talk just a little bit briefly about Irish hospitality and what it is specifically about being Irish that uh, hospitality is something that is just so front and center, both for the Irish in Ireland and the Irish around the world? My dad's from Donegal. Uh, he's he's since passed away, but all his family, all our family is still there. And I went when I was young. I went when I was in high school with my dad. And I went a few years ago, I think year before last, with my wife. And I remember particularly when I was in high school and I went with my dad. Is wherever we went, wherever we went, people would welcome you, almost drag you into their home to sit down and have a cup of tea and a slice of Irish soda bread. It was, I found it to be a little bizarre because it's certainly not what goes on in America, but it was, it was amazing. It was, it struck me. And yeah, the conversations around the table, it was, it was like the same scene in every, in every home, the turf fire going in the, in the cast iron stove with the pot of tea on top and a pot of potatoes boiling and the Irish soda bread and, and butter and, uh, and, and the nice conversations. Yeah, it's amazing. Crossing back to this side of the Atlantic again, I mentioned earlier in the broadcast that you were the head chef at the Waldorf Astoria. And the Waldorf, for those who don't know, was really known as the White House of uh, New York City, meaning that all visiting presidents, uh, visiting heads of state, this was their place of residence, which means, John, that you were doing a whole lot of cooking for kings and queens and presidents. And I'm wondering if any particular tales come to mind in the realm of hospitality that really stand out for you from those years. You couldn't help but feel like you were part of part of history uh, in the making. I, I prepared the lunch on Governor's Island for President Gorbachev, President Reagan, and President-elect Bush, Colin Powell, and that was surreal. That was that was a turning point in, in history. And to be there and preparing that meal was, was amazing. And I started when I was 19 at the Waldorf as, a, as an extern out of the CIA. So I started as a cook and worked through all the different stations and kitchens and became the chef saucier and sous chef, eventually executive chef. And my first presidential meal was the 40th anniversary of the United Nations in September 1985. And President Reagan was the president at the time, and he was hosting the dinner for six of the free world leaders. So at the table was President Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, Helmut Kohl, Craxi from Italy, Mitterrand from France, 
Nagasone from Japan. And for me, it was really special, a real honor, but I didn't really realize how rare an event like this was, being that it was my first. And I've been involved in preparing meals for other presidents in the past, but this was my first gig where it was mine. And after the dinner, the State Department officials said, listen, Chef, President Reagan usually likes to thank the staff, but this dinner is just over the top and it's just not going to happen. And I was like, well, I, I, this was such an honor. That's, that's fine with me. Thank you. And so they escorted me down the hallway and into the elevator where there was another Secret Service agent and the elevator doors closed and he got some signal in his ear and then he spoke into his cuff and where he had a microphone. And then he turned to me and said, the president would like to see you. And so after my knees stopped shaking, I stepped off the elevator. They walked me back down the uh, hallway and President Reagan came out and greeted me in the, in the foyer and thanked me and asked me to thank everyone in the hotel for the hospitality and for making sure that this event was memorable and successful and just the most gracious, kind man I had ever come across. And I was so excited for, for days and weeks, but it wasn't until after that that I really thought about President Reagan and in his position at sitting at that table with these people around the table to have the thought to excuse himself, to thank somebody he never met for hosting or preparing a meal uh, that was pretty amazing. I always thought it was pretty amazing that I was able to say none of us are too important or too busy to thank the people that serve us. And it's such a great lesson in gratitude that I've always used when I address groups or employees or think about myself. And and that really was President Reagan right there. That's That really said a lot about who he was. That is an astounding story. And, and I agree. If you're the president of the United States hosting all these world leaders and still you can find the time to take a few moments to say thank you to the individual and the team that created the beautiful meal that I'm sure that meal was, boy, if, if the president can do it under those circumstances, none of us have yeah. any excuse not to ever give thanks to the people who are giving us their time and, and gifts as well. Well, John, I'm in hearing that story, it's just making me think, I know you've got many, many more wonderful stories that are just, when times return to normal and when you're back at your restaurant, Black Barn, I think we're going to have to have another conversation where we can hear more of those tales because that is just, oh my goodness, the, the, the things that you saw and experienced at the Waldorf, I can only begin to imagine. Or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I just picked up Life magazine featuring Bob Dylan and they had a couple of pictures from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which we hosted every year. We can talk about that sometime, but what some some great legendary performances during that dinner. Wow. I think I would have found it very difficult to stay in the kitchen. <laughs> I would have been out wanting to, to sit down at the table and mingle and, and hear the performances as well. But John, for those who are inspired by your story and would like to help out, as so many people are looking for ways to help out and perhaps don't have your talents in the kitchen, but are blessed and able to assist, what are, what are some ways that people can assist with Heavenly Harvest? Thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Um, 
I can only make as many meals as we have dollars for. I have no overhead. Every dollar that, that comes in goes to making another meal. And so donations are welcome and appreciated. The easiest way is to go through our website, which is heavenlyharvest.org. And there's a, a button there to donate, and it's pretty easy, and it's effective. Anybody who's thinking about doing that, just know that we're grateful and the people who receive these meals are more grateful than I am. Believe me, it's, it, it never goes unappreciated. Well, I appreciate you, John, and I appreciate your, your coming on the show and sharing all the different ways that we can both support the hospitality industry, support the hungry, and bring some elements of that hospitality into our own families and inspire that next generation. So thank you again for spending the time with us. Stay well, and I look forward to our next conversation. I appreciate it. Yes, yeah, stay well, everybody. We'll come out of this, and um, we'll, we'll find a new normal. Yes. And we'll all be better for it. Looking forward to that day. Thanks again, John. You're welcome. Bye-bye. I'll be back with some closing thoughts right after this. Thank you so much to John Darty. What a terrific human being he is, putting his immense talents to work in the way he knows best, helping to nourish and support and sustain those frontline workers and those who otherwise would be going to bed hungry every night. What a kind, kind soul. And I love that story about President Reagan and, and the gratitude that he conveyed. I can only imagine what it must have been like being in that room with all those world leaders and yet still not lost on President Reagan was the idea of giving thanks to the very person who was making sure that the meal was extraordinary, as I'm sure it was. So thank you to John for joining us on the show today. Thank you for listening. As always, I do welcome your thoughts, your questions, suggestions for future topics. We are going to be on Corona for the foreseeable future, but there is a lot to explore when it comes to etiquette. This is brand new territory for all of us. Not welcome territory necessarily, but only through etiquette and kindness and consideration will we be able to get through this together. I encourage you, if you have not already, to please subscribe, to share, to leave us a review. And again, would love to know what questions you might have, how I might be able to help you. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast where we explore and examine what matters most.